This is the African Campfire Stories podcast. This podcast is dedicated to the telling of African history stories and events. To bring African history to you, we have to read through a lot of facts and details. Should you pick up anything we get wrong or if you just want to reach us, please use our social media pages or our website. Search for African Campfire Stories on Twitter, Instagram and on Facebook. Our website is www.africancampfirestories.com. Podcast episodes, other content, including articles on African history, can be found on the website. The podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, YouTube and Player FM. Today's episode is episode 4 of our mini-series on Christmas and Hanukkah. A mini-series that tells the story of the founding of Judaism and Christianity. We suggest that you listen to episodes 1, 2 and 3 of the Christmas and Hanukkah special so that the overall story could make better sense to you. With the preliminaries out the way, we will now go into today's episode. This is the Christmas and Hanukkah special episode 4, Detour to Europe. With a few exceptions so far, our story on this mini-series has been limited to the land of Canaan, that is the small area between the southeast Mediterranean region and the Jordan River and adjacent neighboring areas like Egypt. However, before we continue in that vein today, we will briefly digress from the historical period we've been covering and from the geographical area our story has been limited to so far. Today, we will change tack and fast forward our timeline and narrative and head over to Europe. After we have covered Christianity's spread in Europe, we will double back to ancient Canaan and catch up on how Christianity developed there. That means that some of the topics and people that we previously said will be covered on this episode will be deferred to future episodes of this mini-series. So please bear with us. We promise that when we get to the spread of Christianity in Africa, the detour to Europe on this episode will make complete sense. That being said, let us begin with today's story. The spread of Christianity to Western Europe can be argued to have been the religion's biggest break. True, the Christian religion had some success before Western Europe got its hands on it. In the first century AD, Christianity was able to spread to North Africa and to the region of Ethiopia by the 4th century AD as stated in episode 3. And Armenia became the first state to go officially Christian in 301 AD. But Western Europe had been the single most crucial spreader and fighter for Christianity. The advantage Christianity had in being able to spread was its acceptance by important European political leaders and powerful people in general. People who had actual power to influence events. These facts, however, mean that men of varied character and morals have been responsible for the success of Christianity. By the way, the same kind of thing applies to Islam too. And we will look at Islam closely when we do a podcast series on the Islam religion. People who are detractors of Christianity will always be quick to point out that horrible people have helped Christianity along its development. On the opposite end, you have mostly devout Christians who would like to think that their religion was spread only by well-meaning holy prophets and other individuals of immaculate morality and pure intentions. Both the detractors of Christianity and devout Christians are missing the point. The real world is complicated and it is never that black and white. Things are never simple where human beings are concerned. The real truth is somewhere in the middle, in the grey area. Think about any idea or concept that today is regarded as a mainstay of modern society, anything. If you look deep enough, you will find that idea or concept has had all types of supporters. People who truly believed in that idea for pure reasons and people who just used the idea to get ahead in life. Both true faith and immoral self-interest have been responsible for the spread of Christianity and that can be said for the spread of many other things. 
In the story of the spread of Christianity, you have figures like Constantine the Great, St. Paul, St. Peter, James the Just, and the like. We introduced Constantine in episode 3. But you also have historical figures whose roles in the spread of Christianity is less known. Someone like Charlemagne, aka Charles the Great, King of the Franks, is a relatively popular figure in terms of European history. But Charlemagne should be popular amongst modern Christians too. Because he is one of those people without whom Christianity might not have been as big today. Charlemagne's intentions when it comes to Christianity are not very clear, but his methods in defending Christianity were very questionable. In fact, his intentions, we might venture to say, seem to have been entangled with his power-seeking. To the horror and dismay of the Pope, Charlemagne famously put the church in its place and made it clear that the church wasn't going to have much of a say in how he ran things in his kingdom. When he was crowned emperor on Christmas Day 805 AD, the Pope put a crown on his head. Historians say Charlemagne regretted this act by the Pope for the rest of his life because that act by the Pope implied that his power came from the church or specifically the Pope. When it was time to crown his son as co-emperor in 813 AD, to prepare his son for succeeding him, Charlemagne made sure that it was him who put the crown on his son's head. No repeating of that stuff about the Pope crowning people. Way before Charlemagne, the Franks, the people who are largely regarded as the ancestors of modern-day French, had another king who played a role in the spread of Christianity in Western Europe. The name of this king is Clovis. His role is probably even more important than that of Charlemagne because without Clovis, the Franks whom Charlemagne ruled later might have never converted to Christianity in the first place. After the Battle of Tolbiac, on Christmas Day 508 AD, Clovis converted to Christianity. Clovis was the predecessor of Charlemagne on the Frankish throne. The conversion of Franks through the conversion of Clovis sort of guaranteed that much of Western Europe would be Christian. Clovis's wife was a Christian before Clovis converted, but he himself refused to convert until one day he was about to lose a battle. He bargained that if he won that battle, then he would give his wife's religion a try. Then you have a fella like Viking leader Guthrum. He was converted through force as part of signing the peace treaty of Wedmore in 878 AD. This was a treaty between Vikings and the Anglo-Saxon people who occupied England at the time. This treaty was pushed by another Christian hero who today isn't largely praised by ordinary Christians for his role in helping Christianity move forward. That person was Anglo-Saxon King Alfred the Great. By the 11th century, the Vikings of Norway and Denmark were on their way to becoming universally Christian. Modern Christians might not care about a bunch of Vikings converting, but best believe to European Christians of that time. The conversion of Vikings helped to save Europe, which means it saved Christianity. Because the Vikings had for centuries before been invading and harassing the Christian kingdoms of Europe, including the looting and destruction of Christian monasteries. In the 16th century AD, Protestant Christianity received another hero in the form of yet another not-so-famous in modern-day times person. That person was Frederick III, the King of Saxony in Germany. What if we told you that this guy is probably as important to Protestant Christianity as Martin Luther himself? Why, you may ask. Let's put it this way. Martin Luther, whatever he was teaching and preaching, you might have never heard of it today if Frederick didn't protect him from the anger and retribution of the Catholic Church and the Catholic rulers of Europe of the time. Men like Luther, who went against the Catholic Church, were a dime a dozen. Before Luther, there were men like John Hus and other lesser-known figures. They are lesser-known figures today because the Catholic Church had these men dispensed with in no time. 
Luther did not survive because he was smart. No, Luther was extremely lucky. When he began his revolution against the Catholic Church in 1517, he was fortunate that some of the German princes and kings of the time had their own axes to grind with the keepers of the flame of Catholicism. Men like Frederick III were beginning their own revolution against the Holy Roman Empire, an empire which was backed by the Pope and the Catholic Church. So men like Frederick saw rebelling against the Catholic Church as being equivalent to rebelling against the Holy Roman Emperor. Luther was saved because his religious orientation matched up with the politics of people like Frederick. This situation, this rebellion against the Catholic Church, caused the Thirty Years' War in Europe, one of Europe's worst wars of all time. That war was fought between 1618 and 1648, when the Protestants, that is the side that Martin Luther was on, was about to lose to the Catholics. The man who came to save the day was Swedish king named Gustavus Adolphus. Adolphus is yet another man Protestant Christians today should be thankful to. Now, let us head to the east of the Eurasian continent. Vladimir I converted to Christianity in 1988 AD thus ensuring that the future mighty Russian Empire would be a Christian Empire. Vladimir was a king of the Rus people. The Rus are a people of Viking origin who later gave birth to the empire and the state that is Russia. Talking about questionable motives. The story of Vladimir's conversion to Christianity is a curious one. So, he gets to a point where, for whatever reason, he wants a new religion for himself and his people. He sends out his envoys to do research and find out for him what religions are available out there. Out of a list of options generated for him by his envoys, he chose Orthodox Christianity. Just for trivia, Vladimir didn't choose Islam because his envoys came back and told him that Muslims didn't allow the drinking of alcohol and eating of pork. <laughs> Such are the considerations which have changed world history, people. Now, you have everything you need for Christianity to take root forever and ever in Europe. The Vikings? Check. The Franks? Check. The Russians? Check. Europeans would go on to conquer much of planet Earth, bringing their culture and the Christian faith with them. Had Europeans sat on their behinds and didn't conquer anybody, their adoption of Christianity would have remained limited to their home continent. It is thus no exaggeration that European conquest is responsible for the lead position that Christianity holds today amongst religions. A huge portion of the 2.5 billion figure, which is the current estimate for the total number of Christians today, comes from countries that were taken over by Europeans in the past 500 years. This is reminiscent of the Islamic conquests of the 7th and 8th centuries AD which allowed Islam to explode from the confines of the Arabian Peninsula into North Africa, Central Asia, the Middle East and Europe. One can argue that of all the three Abrahamic religions, that is Christianity, Judaism and Islam, Judaism is so small today because it has historically lacked the kind of support from powerful conquerors that Islam and Christianity have had. Some historians attribute this to Judaism's perceived ethnic focus and its inability to attain widespread adoption by non-Jews. Think about this fact. Many a time in their history, Christianity and Islam have faced potential destruction or at least serious retardation. In many of those times, these two religions were saved by people who fall outside of their founding ethnic groups. On this episode, we have already looked at the role of some key European rulers in the spread of Christianity. Europeans are not the Christian faith's founding ethnic group. Had Islam been left only to the Arabic people, 
Genghis Khan and the Mongols, amongst other factors, might have caused serious harm to Islam. But the Mamluks stepped up and saved Islam through many interventions, including the famous Battle of Ain Jalut in 1260. The Mamluks are a people of Central Asian origin who were taken to Egypt to be slave soldiers, but who eventually managed to rule Egypt by 1250. In the Battle of Ain Jalut, the Mamluks defeated the Mongols and stopped them from inflicting the kind of destruction the Mongols had already inflicted on Islam in the area where modern Iran, Iraq and Central Asia are today. The curious fact about the Mamluks is that before they took power for themselves in Egypt, during the period when they were still mere slave soldiers, the then rulers of Egypt did not think that the Mamluks would fight to defend Islam. This is because the Mamluks arrived in Egypt as Christians. So here you have the Christian Mamluks, who did convert to Islam eventually, by the way, fighting to defend Islam even before they took control of power in Egypt. The Mamluks played a part in defending Islamic Egypt against the invading Christian crusaders from France during the Seventh Crusade in 1249. The Seljuk Turks and Ottoman Turks, also from Central Asian origin, also did much to save and then propagate Islam. In fact, the last caliphate, a caliphate being a state considered as a state ruled by a successor of the Prophet Muhammad, existed under the auspices of the Ottoman Turks. Salah ad-Din, the great hero of Islam, during the early Christian crusades to the Holy Land, was of Kurdish origin, another example of an outsider saving Islam. This series is about Judaism and Christianity. However, this digression into Islam was to illustrate the point that many major religions have been well served by outsiders. Another example of this is Buddhism. The religion was founded in India, but nations like China, Japan, Vietnam, etc., have played a critical role in its growth and propagation. We will have to stop here for today. See you next time.